0: We've been in, the, in this series, uh, Learning to Dance, and uh, I want to start with a rhetorical question this morning, which means you don't have to answer, right? It's great. Uh, but if I were to ask you, so this morning we're starting with uh, the problem of warfare, right? So if I were to ask you this morning, what does spiritual warfare look like in your marriage, how would you answer me? What would you tell me? If I said to you, what does spiritual warfare look like in your marriage, what would you tell me? Now, obviously, like I said, we can't all respond. Uh, it's, it's the wrong format for that. But, but I ask that in all seriousness. As you think through your marriage, as you think through whether you've been married long or, or uh, short or long, do the hands right, right? As you think that through, what has it looked like? What have the different battles been? Where have you sensed that, that kind of pressure? Singles, question applies to you as well. If you're here watching online, uh, what does spiritual warfare look in your life? Right, Because you have to figure that out, uh, and if you want to get married, you bring that to the equation, so you have to think through the question the same way we as married people do. So in asking that question, obviously I think spiritual warfare is a real issue and not an abstract theoretical concept. Okay. I think it's real, I think it's legitimate, I think it's something that we have to deal with. There is a real God and he has real enemies. and those enemies are in for all intents and purposes in direct conflict and opposition to the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. God, if you reading through the Old Testament like I am right now, you realize God takes spiritual warfare very seriously in the Old Testament right? It's a major theme that comes through it. Uh, If you read Jesus's words in the New Testament, Jesus took spiritual warfare very seriously during his time here on earth. And the Holy Spirit warns us often to be careful and on our guard, that the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone whom he may devour, and that we have to be aware of that and on our toes and watching. Now, We'll not be able to cover everything this morning, uh, just as time doesn't allow. But the hope is that we can hit a really solid overview so that we can understand the framework and then you can go on and have these discussions in your marriage and, and talk and, find, and come to some discovery points yourself. But before we do that, we should probably seek the Father's protection and truth, don't you think? Would you join me? Father, let's help us. As we come this morning, we're talking about a realm that you understand very well and we don't. But we can see the touch points. We can see the places where the fires start up. We can see where the places where arguments get ignited. We can see the places where tension suddenly comes rolling in when there was none there before. And so, Lord, as we are talking through this, this is really your realm, and I'm seeking you for you to illuminate through the wonderful ministry of your Holy Spirit. Uh, What will be illuminated for one couple will not be the same for another couple, and what's illuminated for a single person won't be the same for uh, married couples as well. And so there's a, a tremendous opportunity here, Lord, for you to interact with us this morning in a living way. We seek you for that. May we not just hear my voice. May we hear your voice. May we hear... That that whisper that we know is your voice. And we give that to you, great hope, and pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so let's begin with the idea of dancing, all right? Uh, When dancing with your wife or husband, you have to be careful that someone doesn't cut into your dance or marriage. Uh, See if you remember this scene. Why don't you stop line? Well, I'm sorry. Hey! <laughs> Just got done with Christmas, so it's a wonderful life. Works, right? So, when warfare tries to cut in on your marriage, you have to, in the power and authority of Jesus, tell it to scram, get out of here. Let's begin for those uh, for those of us who are new to Norfolk or, or new to the faith or you're just coming back to the Lord, if whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, let's just do um, a review, a brief overview that will help us. We first encounter this opposition in the book of Genesis, the Nakash, the divine serpent in the Garden of Eden, right? We see a tempter suddenly appears out of nowhere. And there's a number of ministries um, that are connected to this. We're not given some crucial information in this story. For example, where did this creature come from? Why did he have access to the garden? And how could a snake talk? Right? All that kind of stuff. Um, And I just want to, uh, there's a book uh, uh, called uh, The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. It's up there on the screen. You can see it. It is not an easy read, but it is a fantastic read. So if you want to really kind of take this farther and open up, some categories and sort of blow your mind on the whole thing, this would be a great book to read. A number of us have read it and uh, I would just encourage you towards it. I have read it through about three times now and I'm starting to understand what he's saying. So that that kind of gives you the idea there. But if you read the story, if you read that story in the Garden of Eden, you realize that Eve's reaction is interesting. She's neither afraid nor surprised by contact with this being. She doesn't jump back, she's not startled, she's just having a conversation. And uh, following this being's advice, the, the serpent that's talking to her, the sorrows of this world, in other words, what's known as the fall of man or original sin, enters onto the stage of this planet and it's never gone away and won't until Jesus comes back. Rapidly shooting forward, we will jump to Isaiah 14. If you've got your Bibles, turn there and open up to it. Isaiah 14, we run into the great usurper. This is what's known as a telescoping prophecy. In other words, it starts out by talking about one person, in this case the king of Babylon, and then it telescopes and you suddenly realize it's talking about another person as well. God comments and says, And here's the key phrase, you said in your heart. Notice that God can read the hearts of rulers. God had insight into the motives of this person. And by the way, just to remind us all, He can read our hearts this morning as well. I can't, but He can. Don't think for even a second that you can pull a fast one on God and trick Him. Hebrews fourteen thirteen or Hebrews four thirteen says and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I love the old King James version here where it says we are exposed to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I like that language, right? The eyes of him with whom we have to do. Okay, in this passage is Isaiah fourteen, and I'm just uh, doing cliff notes here. But there are the five great I wills. This is the heart attitude or ambition of this person. Number one, I will ascend to heaven. Number two, I will set my throne on high. Number three, I will sit on the mount of the assembly. Number four, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And number five, I will make myself like the most high. Make no mistake, this is rebellion. This is mutiny. This is sedition. This is revolution and overthrow in the heavenly realms. And so we quickly pick up the elements of ambition and plotting in, in this person's character, heart, and nature. He appears again in Ezekiel 28. It's easy to remember because you got Isaiah 14, double it, you got Ezekiel 28. This time he appears as the king of Tyre, again, a telescoping prophecy. And we are suddenly talking about an anointed guardian cherub. This guardian cherub next to God himself is the absolute signature of perfection. It says that he is the signet of perfection. He says that he's full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. As I said, the title is the anointed guardian cherub. That he walked in the midst of the stones of fire. In other words, in heaven the pavement and stuff is literally lit with fire and he was walking among that. It's an incredible description. says that he was blameless in all his ways. And then there's this critical commentary at the end of that where it says this, until. It's one of the biggest untils in the Bible. Until unrighteousness Was found within you, something went horribly sideways. All the good potential, all the ability, all the um, potential that existed in this person and was given to this person suddenly went south. It goes on to say that this being's heart was full of pride, that his wisdom became corrupted. If you're looking at Ezekiel there, you can follow along and see that he was cast out of heaven. God says he literally lit him on fire and he became a burned out hulk of a wreck. A mere shell of his former person. And he has from this being, this anointed guardian cherub, this bringer of light, he has gone on now to become, this. he has twisted into something tragic and deadly. His end is horrific. He doesn't even have a grave. He's covered with maggots, worms, and the slain. And if that's metaphor, the reality is actually way worse. Incredible description. It's startling with the downfall of this person. Our next encounter with this person is the book of Job. He appears as Satan. That is literally the opponent or the accuser of the brethren. And he comes, and you know the story well, right? God says, where you been? Oh, I've been going through and through the whole earth. And have you noticed my servant Job, who's righteous in all his ways? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, of course he is. You give him everything he wants. He's got great family. He's got all this stuff. And, well, who wouldn't want to follow you? And so then God gives him permission to touch him. And we find out in the story that Job's ten children are killed, that his cattle are all taken, his sheep are all taken, his camels are all taken, and... uh like devastating, Job does not sin. Job still praises the Lord, and Satan comes back to God and says, "Have you noticed?" God says to him, "You notice my servant Job? He still hasn't cursed me." And Satan says, "Well, yeah, tit for tat. You haven't touched him. He's still fine. It's selfishness. Anybody can do fine as long as they're doing well. Yeah, that you took some stuff away and some people away, but you know he's still got his own health, so he's fine." And so God gives him permission to touch Job. And we find Job sitting in a pile of ash with sores and boils all over. And then his wonderful friends come to counsel him. Right? And if you wrestle with that book, it's kind of fun. The next encounter we have with this person is with Jesus himself. <clears throat> Jesus and the Pharisees are in a hot debate over who is legitimate. They state they are legitimate because they are heirs of Abraham. Jesus states that he's legitimate because he's God's son. We'll skip over the finer points of the argument, uh, but in this debate, Jesus gives us a description of this person that we have come to know now as the devil. And here's what he says. He was a murderer from the beginning. Very interesting comment. Know that this is inside information. This is pre-Cain and Abel and this is pre-Adam and Eve. So something happened in the eternal realm that Jesus said this dude was a murderer from the beginning. Right? Tells you a little bit about his heart and makeup. And he does not stand in the truth. As a matter of fact, there is no truth in him. When he lies, and so here is the beginning of lying. Lying, actually comes from a person. Lying was conceived by a person. And that person is known in the Bible as Satan. And it says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own nature. NIV says he, uh, he's fluent in it. Okay, For he is a liar. Oops, my page is stuck together here. He's a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So Jesus highlights two very important characteristics about Satan or the devil. The first one is that he is what? A murderer. He is a murderer. He wants to kill. Second is he is a liar. Uh, So we've talked about this before, but again, big categories. Heaven is the language of truth. God is the God of truth. Jesus tells the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of the truth. Heaven is truth. Lying is the language of hell. So truth is the language of heaven. Lying is the language of hell. When Jesus says Satan is a liar and there's no truth in him, he's talking about an empire. He's talking about a system. He's talking about something that happens and lying is part of it. Why should we tell the truth? Because God tells the truth. Why should we not lie? Because God doesn't lie. When we get caught into lying we are now caught up into the kingdom of that person, the person we know as Satan or the devil. Revelation tells us his ultimate end is in the pit of fire of hell. Okay, joyful but very important. All right. So then the question now is how does that relate to us as a church? When the, well, the Bible tells us that Satan has schemes or strategies that he wants to use to trip us up and ensnare us. Look at Ephesians 6. You know these passages. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, we can make a whole lot of that, but this is pretty simple, really. We know about human schemes. Have you ever had somebody plot against you? Have you ever had somebody try and trip you up? Have you ever had somebody lie to you with bad intentions because they were trying to steal something from you or get something from you? I doubt there's anybody here that has not had that happen in some way, shape, or form. All right? So likewise, when Jesus is talking about Satan, he's talking about this same idea of schemes. So we know what human schemes are, and we know what we, have to be, we have to be wary of them. Ephesians 4 tells us that we have to stand until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature manhood. We're going to talk about this next week. To the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we're no longer children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And then it includes this, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Are there any deceitful monetary schemes going on in our culture right now? Right? Any of you run into those? So then the question is, all right, what are the devil's schemes? What what are tricks of his trade? What does he try to use to throw us off or to trip us up or to trap us. And so here are a list of schemes of Satan. This is not all-inclusive, but this will get you in the ballpark. Some of these you will recognize as ones that have personally been involved with you, that it has been how he has tried to leverage you. What are we talking about? Well, first one, whispers. You ever had someone whisper to you? Right? Right? And sometimes the softer the whisper, the more power it contains, okay? Whispers. Second one, accusations, right? You ever feel accused in your spirit? You don't belong here. They don't like you at this church. What do you come for? You're never going to make it anyways, okay? He's very good at that. Number three, lying. We've talked about that. We're not going to spend more time. Number four, deception. You ever been deceived? Hey, what I've got for you, yummy, yummy, yummy. And as soon as you bite, what happens? Dead. Dead or in a doornail. Dang, why did I do that? Ah, right? We are easily deceived, especially if you're not in the Word of God and you don't know the Bible. You are easily deceived because you don't know what God's mindset is or what He says, and so you're easily thrown off. Word for reading through, just in case you didn't catch that. Okay? Promptings. What is a prompting? Hey, you want that. Hmm. You should go do that. You should. Why? You should hit that person. What? Right? It's just promptings, Just little bumps and pushes inside. Uh, big one, false religions. Do you think he's deceived any number of people in this world today? Uh, right? With false religions? Then. The, the, fantastic number of people caught in false religions. By the way, to the glory of God and to the incredible praise of Jesus, right now do you know that Muslims are coming to Christ by the millions? Okay? By the millions. And you know how they're coming to Christ? They we now have the internet, we have radio and TV, this stuff. But Jesus is appearing to them and saying, I'm the guy you've been looking for. And like It's incredible stories. So just be really encouraged in that. God's voice is greater than the liar's voice. But countering um, promptings, false religions, traps. Any of you get in a financial trap? Any of you ever get in a relational trap? Right? Any of you ever get in an emotional trap? He's really good at it. And once you're there, he's telling you will never get out. That's, not, that's why those songs this morning were so important. Because why? They're all about how Jesus gets us out. If you really think about what we sang this morning, that's why it's so incredible. Countering voices. Have you ever had God tell you something and then another voice says, no, don't do that. Right? Um, in my office, oftentimes I'll be talking to somebody and I'll see their eyes go, and I'll go, huh? What did the voice just tell you? And they get really rattled because, like, how did I know a voice was just talking to them? But I cheat. I've done this for a long time. I watch, right? And they will tell me that the voice just said, why are you listening to this SOB? I'm sure that's the Holy Spirit, don't you think? And I said, well, do you think that voice is from God? Well, no, obviously, God wouldn't use that language, or then why are you listening to it, right? Satan will often use countering voices to the things that God has asked you to do in obedience. Taunts. uh, Taunts are all over the place in the Bible, Um, uh, but a taunt is basically this. Let's say that you've been messed up. Let's say you've not been walking with God. Let's say you've been sinning and nobody knows it, but your life's a wreck and you decide you're going to repent. You tell yourself, you know what? I knew. I knew and I should repent and I'm going to repent right now. And Satan comes back and says, ha, no, 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 no. You've been mine. And you've been mine for a long time. No, 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 no. You, you want to do this? You, you want to do this Jesus thing? You do this Jesus thing, and I will make your life so miserable you wish you had never heard the name of Jesus. That is a taunt. Anybody ever heard that? Yes, indeed. Okay. That, my friends, is playing poker. Okay. Satan does not have that power. Jesus died on the cross, and when he died on the cross, the keys to heaven and hell were given to Jesus. They were taken from Satan. Satan has no more cards anymore. But what's the, one of the best hands in poker? One of the best hands in poker is a bluff. Yes, I've played poker. If you're wondering if the pastor ever played poker, yes, I have, okay? Best hand is a bluff. If I can make you think that I have cards that I don't have, you will fold. And what's the great thing about poker? You never have to show the cards. You just lay them down. That's what Satan does. He never has to show the cards. He's a master bluffer, and he bluffs with taunting. By the way, he is not greater than Jesus. He can't outdo Jesus. He can't outcheckmate Jesus. So he's dead, he knows it, but he wants to make us think he's not. Strongholds. Strongholds are what we modernly call addictions. They can be... All sorts of forms. All of us know what it's like to try and break those. It's a miserable process because it's a stronghold. What does that mean? It's got an ankle on you. It's got, it's got you... Um, anchor. It's got you... Ankle on you. Anchor. It's got you locked up. You, it tells you you're in prison. You can't get out. Threats. Threats are similar to taunts, right? Exploitation. Satan, once he gets running you ever had a stream of thought and it's running and then all of a sudden something weird comes in there and it starts to go sideways and suddenly it goes lustful it goes sinful it goes bad and all of a sudden whoa this thing blows up and you suddenly just feel really taken advantage of that's because you were that's called exploitation he loves to exploit our weaknesses Um, there is possession we won't go into a lot of that today Uh, there's that. But the bigger one is oppression. Most people are not possessed. Many people are oppressed. Oppressed by a demonic dialogue that holds them captives that tells them they can't. Then you have the world. Well, you don't need God. Look at what we can give you. Yum, yum. Come on. Okay. We got the music, we got the entertainment, we got the channels, we got the games, we got, Jesus is boring. Really? Come on. Give it up. And then the flesh, right? Obviously, in our culture, porn, everything, it's all online, it's everywhere. Um, You know, the flesh has always been a battle and will always continue to be. It's one of his greatest tools that he uses. But the last one is the one that we are most susceptible to. You say, wow, what's more susceptible than all of those? It's this one. Satan, although he is a liar and the father of lies, he knows scripture and he knows how to use the truth. And what he does is he uses three quarters of a truth with a hook. In other words, truth, 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 lie. And if you're going along and going, okay, this can't be so bad. That's true. That's true. That's true. Oh, wait a minute. That would be sin. Right? That's where he gets you. He gets you with that going along and the three quarters of the truth and then the hook, okay? Because he's a master at setting that up and then lying to you about what the end result would be. And often you will know because the Holy Spirit talks to you and says, "Nope, no, 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 no. That's not right. Now, when I lay these out, I think we pretty clearly recognize these for what they are because the room got really quiet. All right? I think we know the battles. I think we know where we've been. I think we know how we've been lied to. But it's when we're alone that we are vulnerable and susceptible to temptation and deception. Thus, the importance of a body, a church. The importance of fellowship. Believers who encourage each other in the faith is really important, okay? And I know we've got to do online and there's, there's reasons for it and I'm all for it and we put it in place and we've got to do it. But we have to be in fellowship. That means you actually got to talk to another human being who's a believer. You actually got to spend time with them and talk about how is this battle going and how are you doing? And that's how we stay together and that's how we stay walking and that's how we stay encouraged. So now on to our next step. You're wondering, Steve, where did you go? What does this have to do with marriage? All right. Glad you asked. Here we go. Fire hose. We're going to run. All right. David started with perception filters and we saw how perception filters can distort communication. And in that then, these perception filters are, think of them as like an invisible membrane. It's the grid through which you see reality. And you think that everybody sees reality exactly the same way you do. But you know that's not true and you know how I know that? You got married. You suddenly realize there's another person that sees reality very different than you do. Wow! Wow! This is incredible. They actually think that way. Satan, knowing this and knowing how it can be distorted, loves to flick these perception filters and distort them and increase the dissonance that's occurring between a couple. And one of the things that comes out of that then is a spirit of contempt. One of the things that Satan works really hard is to get us to feel and think and act contemptibly towards each other, towards our marriage partner, towards our church family, towards our kids, towards our parents. He he loves to build a spirit of contempt among us, within us, around us. So then how does this work in marriage? Well, here is a continuum, right? And in this continuum, you can see you've got a perfect middle, if you divide this continuum up, you can see that in the middle here, we have a comfort zone. Very seldom do we ever land on perfect middle, okay? But most of the time, we are well enough within range that it's good enough for who it's for. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm in the ballpark, right? It's working. And so we know how that works. If I swing outside of that, on either side, there's a tension zone, Okay? I, I'm I'm now not comfortable anymore. This is irritating. I'm frustrated. I'm I'm outside. It's not red light, but it's not exactly great either. All right. If I go outside of the tension zone, now I'm in a danger zone. Okay. This is uh, do not pa- go past go, Do not collect two hundred dollars. Gong. Thanks for playing. Whatever this is, I'm not doing it, and I'm out of here. All right. Gone. Danger. Danger. Warning. Will Robinson. And if you laughed, you just gave your age away. Okay, here we go. So here's what happens. In this, uh, let's say that I'm doing something and I suddenly am in attention though. Like this morning, let's say, for example, you were thinking to yourself, man, I'd like a cup of coffee or a hot chocolate. I'm going to stop on the way to church. I've got plenty of time. This is great. And when you got to the coffee stand, you realize you forgot your wallet. Right? What do you got to do? Well, you got to go back home because you can't be driving without your license. So you go back home. Now, you not only don't get your coffee, but you got to hoof it so that you can get to church on time, right? You're not at the end of the world or the end of the line or anything, but you're irritated, okay? The morning's already got you off because your intention, right? What's the natural response? The natural response of the human is to what? We want to go back to the comfort zone. Right? I want to get back in the middle. I, I don't like tension. I don't like conflict. I just want to get back to the middle. All right. So uh, in this effort to get back to the middle, we have a problem because guys are different than gals. You've noticed that, right? Okay. I'm not going to explain it. I think you got it figured out but what that means is stereotypically speaking guys tend to be more on the logical side or we would call the analytical side right uh respect side guys love respect guys love honor okay guys would rather be honored than love trust me okay gals you're on the other side again this is stereotypical so it doesn't work for everybody but you're more on the intuitional side You can multitask, you've got those incredible brains that do five things at once and it's like freak us guys out to death, right? But you have that intuition love side. So what that means is when it comes to perception, we are skewed to the left and to the right of what center is. Now, if you put these two together, this is what it looks like. Now, I know this looks kind of like hamburger to you, but just stop and, and just look. If you take the two solid blue lines, that's the comfort zone. If you go to the left, you see the dotted blue line, that's tension. If you go to the right, you see the dotted blue line, that's tension. Yeah, on either side of that is danger. Notice that the guy gets on danger way quicker on this side of the equation than on this side. If you look for the gals, you've got the two solid red lines, right? If you go to the right or the left, you see the two dotted lines, and then danger, danger. So notice the gal gets in danger way quicker on that side of the line than this side of the line. So what happens in terms of a couple, and I call this the anatomy of an argument, all right? How does this work? How does this play out, okay? Well, how this plays out is that Let's take uh, a word, I'll use, I'll use one for Pam and I, uh, vacation, because we have a fun story about this one. So we use the word vacation. You've all been on vacations as single people, right? You all like vacations, you all have favorite places you want to go, you have things that you love to do, so you get married, so it should just all work, right? Because we all love vacations. Yeah! So Pam comes to me and says, "Hun." If you could go anywhere in the world for a vacation, where would you want to go? And I went, oh, what a wife. I married the jackpot. This woman is killer good. This is great. And what's the first word that came out of my mouth? Alaska. Okay? (laughs) I'm a gold panner. I'm a fisherman. I'm a hiker. You can get away from people in Alaska. It's awesome. Okay? Pam said, That's wonderful. But I was thinking of the Caribbean. <laughs> what just happened? Notice I said one word. Look at the graph. I said one word. Where's Pam? I'm in the center of my comfort zone. Where's Pam? She's intention with one word. Can you believe that? It's incredible. And then she says one word, and what happens to me? Now I'm intention. Like, what? This is incredible. The Caribbean. Okay, so when I'm thinking Alaska, what am I thinking? I told you what I'm thinking. When Pam thinks of the Caribbean, what is she thinking? Cruise, sunshine, shopping, beaches, great food shopping, right? Wonderful places to snorkel, shopping, uh, right? When Pam thinks of Alaska, what does she hear? Cold rocks, dirt, Bugs and cold toilets, okay? When I hear the Caribbean on a cruise ship, what do I hear? I hear 3,000 people that are now going to find out I'm a pastor and all come to me with their problems. That's not fun, okay? No, 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 sorry. No, done, okay? All right, so what happens then is both of us really, this starts to escalate and it starts to build. Now notice I'm going to pull it back to my side of the equation. You're not going to have it on your side of the equation. I'm going to exert some control here. So I pull it back. I pull it back to tension, but look at where the arrow is. Where's Pam? She is really close to danger. Now, as a woman, if I'm your husband and I put you right on the line for danger, do I feel safe to you? No. I just become Dr. Curmudgeon. Okay? Okay. You, how dare you, right? So what is she going to do? Well, in kind, she's going to pull it over, and pull, if she's going to be close to the line, she's going to be close to the line on her side. Now, what just happened to me? I'm in danger. Like, what? So I pull it back to my side of the line, and what happens? Boom! Okay? Argument. <laughs> Explosion. This actually happened to us, this is an actual true story, and we were mad as heck at each other, and five minutes later, we busted out laughing. You know why we were laughing? At that time, I was the youth pastor at North Shore. We had lots of time, no money. It wouldn't have mattered where we went. As a matter of fact, it was so ridiculous that we sat there and realized we had no money to go anywhere, that we're probably going to have to do a staycation and do trips around or something like that. This was the most ridiculous argument in the world. We had to give that over to the Lord. And there's another fascinating story with the whole thing. We don't have time this morning. But needless to say, it was, it was pretty, pretty funny. But it wasn't fun when we were in the midst of it. Right? Um, now, here's what happens. Okay? Make sure I'm on the right one here. So go to the next slide. Margaret, are you going to go to the next slide then? Is that the next slide? Oh, there we go. Okay, got it. Margaret's already there, like usual. So now here's where warfare comes in. You're saying, how does warfare work? Here's how it works. When I'm coming around, Satan knows that I want to get back to the comfort zone. So all he does is he watches that curve, he watches the momentum, and right as I come around the corner, he just goes, boom. It doesn't matter if it's a whisper, it doesn't matter if it's a push. You ever swung your kids, right? And they think they're swinging, but it's you, you just give that little, and it's so seamless they don't even know you're pushing them. Same thing, Satan comes along and he just goes, like that. And all of a sudden, instead of landing in the comfort zone, I've shot, oh, I've overshot. Well then, coming around, we're going to pull it back, he bumps again, poof overshoots again he comes around again boom now when he gets to this point go back once margaret oh we gave it away too bad okay when he gets to this point and and the momentum's built the argument is on tempers have flared you are mr gunky okay what's he do at this point he gets out he just goes now watch go to the next one margaret He goes on, not only to get it out, but he works both sides of the coin. He comes all the way back around, comes to the explosion point and goes, oh, 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 Pastor Steve. Ooh, Christian. Oh, you got, oh, Jesus really, wow, you guys don't look good. How could you do that? You're terrible. And then he starts the whole accusation, incrimination side on the deal. Anybody ever been there? No, that's another church. Awesome. Maybe it's only you guys online. These guys are great, okay? All right. What, what are we talking about here? What we're talking about is that Satan knows how to leverage our momentum. There's another thing that happens in here as well. Uh, notice that the momentum builds, and the more the momentum builds, there's another thing that comes into the equation, and that is fear. Notice it's not that big at the beginning because the momentum's not that big. But as you keep stepping through, notice the gap widens and the fear builds. Okay. Some of us get in arguments and we walk away from it and go, I wonder if my marriage is even going to hold together. What is that based on? Because Satan is a master at fear. He knows how to... Ma- Watch our culture. Hello? Is it fear-driven or what? Absolutely. Okay? Satan knows how to build a case of fear for us in our marriages. And so this just continues to build, and it's something that we wrestle with and that we have to deal with. There's a second one, and I have to go fast here because we're quickly running out of time. There's a second one that's really important, and it is the agitation division method. Okay? Here's our couple, our dancing couple. Okay? Here is an idea, and you can see on the idea, they're not exactly lined up, but they are close. Okay? That's not that big of a gap. Yeah, they're, they got it, right? But Satan can see the gap. So what does he do? He jumps between the gap and he agitates He just works just like in winter when water goes in a crack and it freezes. What does that do? It pushes the crack wider, okay? So he jumps in there, he agitates, and his goal is to push that wider and to keep it from coming together. Now, that is not that big of a crack. But if I take that gap and I take it to the wall, how big is it? It's bigger. If I take it out to elevated sports, how big is it? If I take it down to Thrasher's Corner, how big is it? right? What's Satan doing? He know. I call this the pebble in the shoe effect, right? You ever go hiking and get a pebble in your shoe? 98% of you is working great. What's the only thing you're aware of? Stupid pebble, right? And Do your foot and kind of stuff, okay? And if you just keep walking, it gets really irritating, okay? Same thing in our marriages. If you've got a pebble in the relationship, you just keep walking. It gets really irritating. What do you have to do if you're hiking? You have to stop Take the pebble out and probably put some moleskin on and now you can continue to walk again. All right? Satan, this is what happens is it keeps going and 25 years later people go, Pfft, I'm done. Kids are gone, I don't know you anymore and I don't want to. What happened? They allowed the agitator to divide them. Close it when it's small, close it quick when it's there. Don't let it fester. Don't let it go because when you get 15, 20, 22, 25 years down the tracks, you won't be able to close it. It's too big. It's too big of a monster. All right, we will come back because obviously the question in your minds is, well, what do you do to oppose this, to you know, do this right? We'll talk about that next week. Will you join me in prayer? Father, uh, lots of stuff, kind of like a fire hose, but I bet a ton of this connected. I know it has. I know this is real life. I know this is your word. I know this is how it works. So Lord, I give that to you. Be free to have discussions with us. Be free to talk to us, Lord. Identify these things. And if one or two of these really stand out, have a wonderful conversation with each of us this week. We give that to you with hope because you are the loving Father and you are the truth. We ask this in your name, amen.